Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for being a gracious and caring God. Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word, for speaking to us through that still small voice. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will reveal the truth of your scriptures to us, that it be your voice heard, your words received, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Uh, this morning we are in Parsha B'Halotcha. It comes from Numbers chapter 8. Uh, verse 1 through 1216. Um, so we've got a, a pretty long Parsha in general, uh, and there's a lot of things that are kind of compacted in this Parsha as we move through. I want to focus in, I want to hone in on one specific concept that I think is of great value, especially for now in our congregation, because uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, we've had some conversations with others in the past week or two uh, about this reality, but it seems as though our congregation as a whole, but and by our congregation as a whole, I don't mean like the building and every single one of us together, but I mean as a whole, individually, everybody in our congregation or almost everybody in our congregation seems to be under some sort of spiritual attack or another. Um, and I would normally write these things off as a coincidence, you know, okay, well, your life is under spiritual attack or, you know, something along those lines. But when it's a bunch of people in the same congregation, uh, you start to seem thought together and you realize, oh, no, no, this is an attack on the congregation. Um, this is an attack on what we are doing here. And, and some of you have heard me talk about this before. I believe fervently that the only time that the enemy bothers us is when we're a threat to him, all right? The only time the enemy bothers us is when we're a threat to him. And so if the enemy is attacking our congregation, it's because our congregation is being a threat. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like being a threat to the enemy. All right? I kind of feel like that's sort of our job. It's sort of what we're supposed to do. Um, it's kind of what the Lord has put us here for and, and bought us by the blood of Messiah for so that we can mess things up for the enemy as much as possible by winning more souls for the Lord. So on a personal level, uh, theologically, I welcome the enemy's attack. Because that means I'm on the right track. That means I'm doing something right. I'm walking close to the Lord. I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. And that's a good thing, right? On a personal level, selfishly, I hate when the enemy attacks. Because that just stinks. Like, he likes to muck everything up. Um, and and it's, it's not something that only affects one issue, right? He'll attack you in one area. But that single area, which seems minute in and of itself, will affect everything else in your life. Right? And so I think it's important that we as believers realize that and admit, I think a lot of believers are afraid to admit this, but that we admit and realize that there is a such thing as spiritual warfare, that the enemy does want to destroy us, all right? He's unhappy with who we are. If you go back to creation, he lied to Adam and Eve. The first lie was that we could be like God. The Lord didn't want us to eat that fruit because if we ate it, the Lord knew we would be like God. The first lie was that we could be like God. You know why it was a lie? Because Genesis tells us that the Lord created us in his image and likeness. We were already as much like God as we were ever going to be. You can't out-perfect perfection. We were already perfect. 
And the enemy wanted to destroy that. And when we look at the prophets, what we realize is that the enemy was projecting his issues on us, to throw psychological terms out there. He was projecting his issues on us. We talked about this some the other night at Bible study. The, the, the enemy was kicked out of heaven because he thought he could become like God. And when it didn't work out and he got kicked out of heaven, he said, hey, if I can't do it, nobody can do it. So when God created humanity and specifically created us in his image and likeness, the enemy went, whoa, no. If I can't have it, nobody can have it. So I'm going to go and destroy this. And he went in and tried through temptation to destroy humanity, and that's exactly what he did. And the Lord has put great effort into restoring us to what he created us to be, which is his image and likeness. And so it's important that we as believers grasp that and that we recognize that as there is spiritual warfare, it is of the utmost importance that we as believers decide which side of the fight we want to give pertinence to, which side of the fight we want to give victory to, which side of the fight we want to reign in our lives. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and, go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 9, beginning with verse 15. Numbers chapter 9, beginning with verse 15 right in the middle of this week's Parsha. On the day the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle by evening until morning. The cloud above the tent of testimony had an appearance like fire. It was that way continually. The cloud covered it, and by night it appeared like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted up from above the tent, the, uh, then B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, was set out. And at the place where the cloud settled, there B'nai Israel would encamp. At the mouth of Adonai, B'nai Israel would set out, and at the mouth of Adonai, they would encamp. All the days that the cloud remained over the tabernacle, they would remain in camp. When the cloud would remain over the tabernacle many days, B'nai Israel would obey the command of Adonai and not set out. At times, the cloud stayed over the tabernacle only a few days. At, uh, at Adonai's word, they would encamp. At Adonai's word, they would set out. At times, the cloud would remain only from evening until morning. When the cloud would lift, they would set out, whether by day or by night. When the cloud lifted, they would set out, whether for two days or a month or a year. While the cloud remained over the tabernacle, B'nai Israel remained encamped and would not set out. But when it would lift, they would set out. At Adonai's word, they would encamp, and at the mouth of Adonai, they set out. They obeyed Adonai's order by Moses' hand. It's a really interesting thing to look at because if you pay attention to the scriptures, if you read the description of the tabernacle, if you read the description of the way that Israel encamped, and if you read the description of the way Israel moved as tribes, having to set up and break down the tabernacle was the hardest part of the process. And so every time that the presence of the Lord would lift off of the tabernacle, the uh, Levites would have to go in and they would have to break down the tabernacle. They would have to cover the furnishings. Uh, the uh, uh, Two of the tribes, the Merari and the uh, Gershonite, Gershoni, would have to go in and take the actual tabernacle itself and the pieces of it that they had to carry, and they would have to haul them. And then the, the uh, uh, Kohathites, or the tribe, the, the family that Aaron and Moses came from, the Kohathites would actually carry the furnishings of the tabernacle, the ark and the, the golden labor and the menorah and so on and so forth. And they would have to move all of these pieces. As a matter of fact, uh, in chapter 10, we read about the description of, of the way that they would travel. And, and we're not going to actually read it specifically right now. But the, the passage tells us the way they would travel and how they would move forward was that as the presence would lift, that as soon as the presence lift, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon, the tribes of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon began their journey. They started to move out. 
As soon as they started to move out, the Gershoni and the Merari, uh, who are the two families of the priesthood or the Levites that took care of the tabernacle itself, the Gershoni and the Merari uh, would go and break down the tabernacle. So once they had the tabernacle broken down, they would move out. And they would follow Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Then, after the Kishoni and the Merari and the tabernacle itself, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad would break down their camps and they would move out. After them, the Kohathites, or the family that Aaron and Moses came from, the ones responsible for the Mishkan furnishings, they would then move out. So you're now six tribes deep plus two families of the Levites deep before the Kohathites and the tabernacle or the furnishing of the tabernacle begin to move. After they move out, then the, uh, the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali would all begin to move out. And then it tells us at the end of the passage that as they would journey, when the Lord said move, they would get up and go. And as they would journey, that the Ark of the Covenant with the presence of God over it would lead the way. So as soon as they broke everything down, the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence sat, the Ark of the Covenant was moved in front of Judah. And tradition actually says that in, in uh, Midrash, tradition actually says that the presence of God not only stood or hovered over the Ark of the Covenant as, as Israel traveled, but that it hovered over the entirety of the tribe of Judah, who was the first tribe that would lead out. They were the ones that if they came into contact with any sort of hostile enemy, Judah was the first to get hit. And so the presence of the Lord would lead the way not only by being over the Kohathites and Aaron and Moses and the ark as it led, but it would be over the tribe of Judah as well, which is the first tribe. And for me, I look at this and I went, it's really interesting. You know, the, whether or not that's exactly how it played out, I, don't, I can't say for sure. But I can tell you this. I put a lot of weight in the historical value of, uh, of, of the, the traditional view of some of these things from Judaism uh, because you know, we've kind of kept track of this for a long time. And so when we look at this and I look at, okay, well, that kind of makes sense, right? You've got the presence of the Lord over the Ark of the Covenant leading Israel. And Israel wouldn't move unless the presence of God, unless the voice of God said, go, right? So the presence of, the, of God would hover over the Ark of the Covenant, but it makes sense that it would hover over Judah as well because who is it that ministers before the Ark of the Covenant? The priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood, right? And who is it that comes from the lineage of Judah? Mashiach Yeshua, who becomes our better priest, our greater priest, right? He's not a priest who provides atonement here on earth, but instead in heaven where atonement really matters. And so the presence of the Lord hovered over the priesthood and over the tribe of Judah because Yeshua is a part of both. He is a priest and a king. At the same time. And so it's really interesting that we see how these move out. Now, the reason why the, the Gershoni and the Merari had to go out before the Kohathites, the reason they moved out before the Kohathites is because the tabernacle had to be set back up before the furnishings could go in. So as they moved, they would be gapped out. And you're talking 600,000 men plus all the women and children in these families and tribes. This was not a slow, this wasn't something that happened in just a matter of minutes. This was a process and it was organized and it was structured. Uh, and, and we serve a God of organization. And we serve a God of, of order and, and structure. Not that he's like... Uh, 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 dictatorship style structure, but, but he wants things done in a proper order. And so as this, all, this whole procedure moves on and moves out, we see that the tabernacle had to be set up before all of the furnishings of the tabernacle could go in, before the Ark of the Covenant could go in the Holy of Holies, and before the presence of the Lord could set down upon the tabernacle again. And it didn't matter if they were going to be traveling for weeks on end or for one day. 
the presence of the Lord said move, they had to break everything down. And as soon as the presence of the Lord, even if it was 12 hours later, the presence stopped, they had to reset the tabernacle back up, reset up all of the furnishings in their proper place, reset up the camps with the, uh, the Levites around the tabernacle and the tribes of Israel around the Levites and everything had to go on. They had to set it all back up exactly how God said. didn't matter if they traveled for hours or for weeks on end. It had to be set up every single time the presence of the Lord stopped. And it had to be broken down every time the presence of the Lord said, move. As believers, I think we a lot of times lose focus on the importance and the value of allowing the Lord to lead our lives. Of allowing the Lord to actually have a say in what we're supposed to do. You know, a lot of times we go with what sounds best. So if you're looking for a job, a lot of times we go with a job that sounds the best. Right? I've got four job offers. This one's got more money and more benefits attached to it, and more vacation time, and a company car, and this sounds like the perfect route. I'm going to go this way. When in reality, the Lord really wants you to go over here. But did you take the time to sit and to listen? Did you take the time to seek his face, to know that he wanted you to go with the job that gave you 20000 less, that gave you uh, uh, two weeks of vacation instead of six weeks of vacation, that didn't give you a company car, but did give you a stipend towards using your own car because the Lord knew that that job over there that was going to give you more money and more things also was going to require 120 hours of your week and you were going to lose touch with your family. Whereas this job was only going to require 50 hours a week and you would have all the time you needed with your family. You would have all the time you needed for God. This job over here wasn't going to let you have time off for worship, for going to services. It wasn't going to let you have time off for the the Moedim. It wasn't going to let you have time off to spend with God. It was going to consume so much of your time, so much of your day, so much of your hour that you were going to lose track of your walk and your relationship with the Lord. And it sounded great over here and everything seemed perfect. And it seemed like there was your family was going to be in such a better place. But then two years later, your family's falling apart. Your relationship with the Lord has fallen apart. All because we didn't take the time to listen to the Lord. Look at the book of Joshua. The Lord commanded Israel not to make a treaty with the people in the land of Canaan, right? Joshua, there's uh, you know, this, this people, the, this nation that comes running up to Joshua and they put on this big show to look like they've traveled for weeks on end to get there because they've heard of all the things the Lord has done and they just want them to make peace with them. So the scripture says Joshua did not approach the face of the Lord. He just made a treaty with them and then finds out immediately afterwards that they were their neighbors, that they lived in Canaan. And these people became a thorn in Israel's side from then on. How often do we allow the Lord to actually lead our lives? See, one of the problems I have uh, with, with my own people, with the Jewish people, is the building of the temple. And a lot of people, when I say that, go, oh, but it's prophetic, and it's going to be rebuilt as a sign of the return of Messiah, or depending on who you're arguing with, it'll be rebuilt when Messiah returns. It's, I'll, I'll allow for both arguments to exist in this particular discussion for the moment. Uh, and so everybody's, but it's prophetic. It's important. It feeds into, we knew Messiah would come because of the temple and when he would come because of the temple and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and you're right. All of that is absolutely true. The temple did play into prophecy. It was absolutely a part of, uh, of uh, Messianic prophecy. It was absolutely a part of end time prophecy. But is it there because God wanted it there or is it there because God knew we wanted it there? So you got to understand, when the tabernacle existed, when the Mishkan stood, it was temporal. It could be broken down and put back together. 
It could be picked up and hauled out. So when the presence of the Lord said, let's go, we went and we followed him. But then we built the temple. As a matter of fact, when Melech David, when King David went to the Lord and said, I live in this grand palace and you live in a tent, let me build a palace for you. The Lord said, I don't want a palace. I want something temporary. I don't want a palace here on earth. I have a palace. I don't want one here. He says, but I will let your son build one for me. And he lets uh, Solomon build it. And Solomon builds this ornate temple. And from then on, whenever Israel went into battle, what happened before the temple? When Israel went to battle, the ark went with them. The presence of the Lord led them. The Lord fought for them. Once we built the temple, what happened when we had to go to battle? All right, Lord, we'll see you in a bit. We'll come back to you. We put them in a permanent place. We put them in a box. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord's presence didn't exist everywhere also. But what we were supposed to be following was now put in a box, literally housed inside of this, tent, this permanent dwelling place. And so Israel would tell the Lord, hey, we'll come back in a bit for you, right? Then the temple was destroyed. When the temple's destroyed, what happens? The presence of the Lord stops leading the nation of Israel because the presence can't be found. We don't know where the presence is. Temple's rebuilt. The Ark of the Covenant doesn't come back to the temple. What happens? The presence of the Lord is no longer in the temple as it was in the first temple, as it was in the Mishkan. Right? And what we see is steadily we make this progression because we thought having this ornate temple, again, just like with, with asking for a king, we wanted this ornate temple like all the nations around us. But the Lord wanted us to be different, set apart, righteous, and holy. And so we wanted this ornate temple so that we could... Be like them, but we could be better because our God is better, right? So we should be better than them. And we wrote off what the Lord actually commanded. And what was it the Lord told Moses? He said, build the temple. I'm sorry, build the tabernacle in the Mishkan. Build the tabernacle after what you have seen in heaven. He didn't say build a temple after what you've seen in heaven. He says build the tabernacle after what you've seen in heaven. The Lord wanted it to be a temporal dwelling place so that when we would travel, he could go with us. And then we go forward to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. I lied to you. I was right the first time. Hebrews chapter 3. <laughs> the curse of electronics, I looked at the wrong thing. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partners in heavenly calling, take notice of Yeshua, the emissary and Kohen Gadol, we affirm. He was faithful to the one who appointed him in his house, as was Moses also. For he, also ha he has been considered worthy of more glory than Moses, even as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built for, by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses surely was faithful in all God's house as a servant for a witness of things to be spoken of later. But Messiah, as son, is over God's house. And we are his house. If we hold firm to our boldness and that we are proud to hope and what we are proud to hope. Therefore, just as the Ruach HaKodesh says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. There your fathers put me to the test, though they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked by this generation, and I said, they will always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day by day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have been become partners of Messiah if we hold our original conviction firm until the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Now, which ones heard and rebelled indeed? Was it not all who came out of Egypt with Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter the, uh, his rest? Was it not to those who were disobedient? So we see that we are not able to enter in because of lack of trust. Let us, then, let us fear then, though a promise of entering his rest is left open, some of you would seem to have fallen short. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the word they heard did not help them because they were not unified with those who listened in faith. The author of Hebrews says that we are the house. We are the dwelling place of the presence of the Lord. See, what the Lord always wanted, the reason he commanded a temporal dwelling place, the reason he commanded the Mishkan, the tabernacle that could be broken down and put back up, that pieces could rot and could be replaced, that things could constantly be updated as need be. The reason he required that of Israel was because it was a foreshadowing, a sign of who we would become. There's a presence of the Lord resided upon the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant uh, in the modern synagogue is represented by... The Aron Kodesh, the ark, uh, the holy ark that holds the Torah scroll behind me on the bima. And inside of the ark uh, on the bima is the Torah scroll. Just like inside of the, uh, the, the Aron Habrit or the ark of the covenant in the, the holy of holies in the tabernacle in the temple was the tablets that were given at Mount Sinai. The, the actual Torah, the word of the Lord given at Mount Sinai. And so inside of this ark, just like inside the ark in the, temp, the temple and the tabernacle, resided the word of the Lord. Now, all of that is ultimately to point us to our own hearts. Because our own hearts now become the uh, Aron Habrit, the ark of the covenant. Our own hearts, washed by the blood of the lamb, now resides inside of us, the person of Yeshua HaMashiach who John says is the word that became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. In our hearts resides the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, by whom all Scripture was inspired. I don't care if it was written by Moses or Jeremiah or Paul. All Scripture was inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And now that same Ruach that inspired the words from Genesis to Revelation resides within us. So in Jeremiah 31, as we said before, in Jeremiah 31, where it says the word is now written on our heart, it is literally alive and dwelling within us. And so just like Israel had to look to the presence of the Lord on the tabernacle to find their journey, every step they took, they took at the leading of the Lord's direction. You and I should be looking to the Holy of Holies, to our own hearts, where the presence of the Lord now resides so that we can follow his direction for our lives. The problem is, is far too often we forget to. Far too often we don't do that. And what ends up happening is the same thing that ends up happening whenever Israel refused to do what the Lord had called of them, refused to honor our covenant with him. 
See, there was another unique aspect to the tabernacle, to the Mishkan, the dwelling place, the temporary dwelling place of the Lord. It was that upon it resided the presence of the Lord in the nature of a pillar of fire and smoke. During the day it looked like smoke, at night it looked like fire. But it was a light that could be seen, not just by Israel, but by everyone that was in vicinity. And every time Israel sinned, they hindered the way that the nations looked at the presence of the Lord. Because Israel was to be a light unto the nations. You and I now have that same light. Because that light in the tabernacle, not just the presence upon the tabernacle, but the light of the menorah, the Netamid, and the, the, the uh, holy place, and the inner courts, that light was representative of the light of Messiah, which now resides within us. So not only do we literally have the presence of the Lord within our hearts, do we literally have the word of the Lord within our hearts, not only can we literally be led by the presence of the Lord, but the nations around us, all of those we come into contact with on a daily basis, should see the light of the the presence of the Lord should see the light of the presence of the God of all creation. And if we do not allow that to come forth, if we allow sin into our lives, if we do not follow the direction of the Lord, we actually damage the image of the presence of the Lord that the nations around us see. It is of the utmost importance that we recognize that we understand that as believers, we are truly in a spiritual warfare. Just like Israel was in spiritual warfare. They didn't know it at the time, but they were in spiritual warfare. See, the enemy knew. He was told uh, in the curse in Genesis chapter 3, he was told that when the, the, that the descendant of Adam would crush the serpent's head. And so the enemy knows that because Mashiach has come, his time is limited. But he also knew from then on that as soon as Messiah came, his time would be limited. So he knew if he could delay Messiah as long as possible, and what he's done ever since Adam and Eve is he's tried to delay Messiah. He tried to derail uh, Abraham. If you remember, Abraham's father had already began to make the journey to Canaan. Before Abraham was ever called out, he had already began to make the journey to Canaan. And then he stopped short. He sold himself short. And then God calls Abraham out to leave his father's household from the Ur of Chaldees and to go to the promised land. So Abraham goes and Abraham lives a righteous and holy life. And then Isaac comes around. And then Isaac kind of uh, uh, messes things up a little bit here and there. But gets his life on track and things are okay. And then Jacob and Esau come along. And Jacob and Esau just ruin everything. But even before Jacob and Esau, the enemy tried to ruin things with Abraham. Because he talked Abraham into not waiting for the Lord's promise of a son through Sarah. And instead got him to fall to temptation. Granted, it was Sarah that tempted him. But nonetheless, got him to fall to temptation. And to try and make the Lord's promises become a reality on his own accord. And we have the problems with Ishmael and Isaac. We have the problems with Jacob and Esau, same thing. We try to make God's promises become reality on our own accord. We move to Israel, and Israel over and over and over again falls short of the glory of God. Over and over and over again, they fall short of honoring the covenant that we have with the Lord. And the Lord damages, uh, I'm sorry, the enemy damages the image of the Lord through his people, Israel, throughout their journey in the wilderness, throughout their time in the promised land. Then we get to the destruction of the first temple. We get to the destruction of the second temple. We get to even today, where Yeshua says in the Gospels that he will not return until all Israel has proclaimed, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The enemy knows as soon as all Israel is saved, his time comes to an end. The thing holding back the one that will crush the serpent's head is Israel coming to faith. 
And so he has spent the last 2,000 years trying to make the body of Messiah, which is supposed to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God, look as opposite to anything that would drive a Jew to jealousy for his own God. In other words, Judaism today looks at the body of Messiah, looks at Christianity, and says, oh, that's a whole other religion. They serve a whole other series of gods. They, they think that the Christians serve three gods. They go, oh, that's a polytheistic religion, and that's not us. Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Ohenu, Adonai, Echad. Here's all the Lord our God. The Lord is one. That can't be us. And so the enemy has worked little by little with minute little temptations to lead the body of Messiah to look something contrary to something that drives Jews to jealousy for their God. Also that he can stay his execution just a little bit longer. We as believers, though, we have an opportunity, both Jew and Gentile alike, to be a part of the tikkun olam, the restoration of the world, the healing of the world, in walking in faithful relationship with our Lord and allowing the truth of Messiah Yeshua to reign free in our lives. We have the opportunity to be the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the world that we live, so that the light of the Lord shines off of our lights, the, off of our lives. The Shekhinah, the divine glory of the Lord, radiates so fervently, so passionately, so tangibly, that people see our lives and they want what we have. But we as believers are too afraid to walk fully in that. Because then people will look at us with crossed eyes. They'll point fingers at us. They'll make fun of us. They won't understand us. They'll look at us and think we're weird. Well, you know what? We are. We're supposed to be. Because the call that was given to Israel to be set apart righteous and holy from the world around them is our call. And just like Israel, they lived among the nations, but they didn't become part of the nations. We live among the world, but we are not to become part of the world. Instead, we are to be a light in this dark world, a rare occurrence of the presence of the Lord in this dark world that people see and are drawn to and that they want. We are to be, for the sake of an image, we're to be the fly zapper. You know, that little blue light that flies keep flying into and you're sitting on your back porch and all of a sudden you're... And there goes a little spark, a, flew, a fly flew into that little fly zapper, right? We're to be the fly zapper, if you would, right? Call it the nation zapper. Um, and, uh, and, and we're supposed to have a light that lures people, that lures people to the Lord. But the only way we can walk in that light, the only way we can experience that tangible expression of the presence of the Lord in our lives is if we live a life that is so wholly devoted to the Lord that he honestly directs our every footstep, our every thought, our every walk, our every word, our every breath. That we do not move anywhere unless the presence of the Lord lifts and, and takes us. We should be constantly chasing him and just waiting to see the hordes follow behind us. See, the problem is we as a community... We as a kehillah, as a community, a congregation, we have been experiencing spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack because the enemy knows that the presence of the Lord is in this place. He knows that the presence of the Lord is in this place because the presence of the Lord is in you and me. And that whenever we come together in unity and worship, that that presence just amplifies. And he knows that when the, the presence falls and the, the light of Messiah is shining off of this place, we become a lighthouse to a lost and dark world, heading straight for the jagged edge. 
But he knows if he can hold us down, if he can crush us, if he can get us to just not show up to synagogue, if he can get us just to, to not wake up this morning and read the word, if he can get us to miss one day of prayer, then he's taken us off track just enough that it becomes a reoccurrence. Just enough that we don't become a part of what the Lord is trying to do here and in our own personal lives day to day. And we damage what the Lord wants to do through us. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Our strength, our strength is not in our own ability, in our own flesh, but instead in that who is in me. Our strength is in Messiah. Because guess what? He has already won victory. The victory is ours. We just have to walk in it. But the enemy gets us to be so afraid, so, so scared, so worried that, oh, but what if we mess up? What if we don't do it just right? But the victory is ours. We just have to walk in it. We just have to faithfully be a part of it. We as a congregation have to come together. We've been talking about this because one of our own is battling a very serious, very real, painful experience with cancer. Stage 4 uh, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a reality in our own lives that we have to come together as strength for that person. And it's not just her. We've got issues with people whose work is intentionally forcing them to work on Shabbat, even though they know that it's their holy day and they want to be here. Even though they have agreements with work that will allow them to be here, but their jobs are forcing them to work anyways. We have people who are just too sick or too tired or too worn out to roll out of bed on Saturday morning to come to service. That's not of the Lord. The Lord said he's given us power and dominion over things of this world. That's of this world. That's not of heaven. We've got to walk in faithfulness. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. There are plenty of Saturday mornings that I roll out of bed and go, you know what? I just don't want to do it today. I just want to climb back in bed or I want to hop on my bike and just go somewhere. I want to sit back and watch TV for a while. But I show up here anyways. And you know what? It's those days when we show up in spite of the enemy trying to lure us away. The presence of the Lord happens and falls in a more real and tangible way. Now imagine what happens if 50, 60, 70 people, 100 people, 500 people, 1,000 people all say, you know what? Forget you, enemy. I'm going to do what the Lord is leading. And we all show up in spite of what the enemy wants to do in our lives, in spite of how he's trying to derail us. And we show up anyways. What do you think is going to happen? You want to see the presence of the Lord fall in a mighty and powerful way? You want to see us impact the community around us? You want to see our lives change in dramatic fashion? Let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's forget about what the enemy is trying to distract us with. Let's just be faithful with the Lord. Let's walk in faithfulness no matter what. If the Lord's called you here. If this is your home, be here in worship in spite of what's happening at home, in spite of what's happening at work, in spite of what's happening with your family, in spite of what's happening with your health. If you get Zika virus or something like that, stay home. <laughs> Other than that, be here. Actually, if you've got the Zika virus or anything, come to the door, we'll pray for you there, and then you can come in because it'll all be gone. But there should be nothing that holds us back. If it holds us back, it's just the enemy. 
The Lord doesn't drag us backwards. The Lord only leads us forward. The Lord only, will only lead us into his promises. He will never lead us into curses. I don't know about you, but I think it's time that we as a community fall on our face as a community in faithful prayer, faithfully seeking the face of the Lord. I'm telling you, this is something that's affecting us all. You may not realize it, but I'm willing to bet most of you already know exactly what's happening in your life that is a direct attack of the enemy. I'm willing to bet that when I first brought it up at the beginning of the message, that your brain immediately went there. And if it didn't, it has now. I'm willing to bet that every single one of us in this room and all of our mishpacha that are missing this morning can pinpoint the finite time in our life and this current reality, the finite thing in our life that the enemy is trying to jerk us around with. The question is, are we going to walk faithfully in the victory that has been given to us in our Lord Messiah? Or are we going to give the enemy more ground? Because he thinks he's already won. But we know the truth. I mean, at least I do. I read the end of the book. I know what happens. So it doesn't matter what happens here and now to me. I can trust in faithfulness that the reality is going to become true. Because it's a heavenly reality, I believe, and not an earthly reality. So I want to encourage you, when you leave this place, heck, before you leave this place, take time this after this morning before uh, uh, we, we close up service and be just seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Ask him to call out those things in our lives that the enemy is using to distract us, that he's using to try and pull us away from what the Lord has called us to do, that he's trying to use to diminish the image and likeness of God in our lives. Ask the Lord where those, those steps that we could take, those things that we can do to become more faithful to him, to come closer to him, that his presence will grow, that his light will shine more fervently in our lives. Because this is a spiritual attack this is spiritual warfare that I'm not willing to lose. And I'm not willing to lose because we have already been given the victory. I'm not willing to be Barak and judges who sat back and listened to the Lord call him to go and attack Sisera and went, eh, I don't think we can win. I'll only go if the judge Deborah goes with us. No, the Lord told us to have it. I don't want to be Israel when the ten spies came back and said, hey, the land's exactly like the Lord said. His promises are true but we just can't take it. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb who said, let's go. Let's go now. Forget all of this whining. Let's go now. It is ours for the taking. The victory has already been given to us. Do you believe victory has been given? Do you believe in victory in your life? Today is the day to change the direction of our lives to walk in victory that has already been given to us every waking moment of our lives because the blood atonement of Messiah has provided that victory. Or we can continue to give ground to the enemy and never see the truth of his victory, never see the reality of the promises God has in store for us, never see the reality of the way that God wants to use us individually and corporately for his kingdom to impact the community around us. The Lord has not put congregation Maim Chaim here for a short period of time. He's not put us here just to be a fluke uh, uh, niche market in the body of Messiah. 
He has not put us here just so that 10, 20, 30 people can get together a week and the other 20, 30, 50 people that normally should be here stay home. He has not put us here so that we can just rotate every other week who's going to show up and who's not. He has put us here so that we can come together as one and worship before him and impact this community so that this community can see the victory of the Lord in their lives like we should be seeing it in ours. So that this community can find the truth of Messiah Yeshua. I'm willing to pick up my arms. I'm willing to be like those in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah who was uh, using tools and building the walls of Jerusalem with one hand while holding weapons with the other. Romans says, put on the full armor of God. Are you? Because it's going to take an army of people willing to faithfully devote their lives to the Lord for us to be what the Lord has called us as a congregation to be. Amen. Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are a God who desires to interact with our lives. Father, we thank you that you are so much greater than the gods that the nations have created for themselves. Because, Lord, they are just stone and wood idols crafted by hand. But the reality is, is we have the true and only tangible presence of the living God in our lives. And just like Israel in the wilderness, just like Israel in the promised land, the presence of the Lord could be seen by all who were willing to look. The presence of the Lord could be seen by all the nations around them, just like when uh, the spies in Joshua go in and meet Rahab. Rahab says, we've been scared to death for 40 years now of what the Lord did through you in Egypt and on your way here and what he is going to do through you here. Know that the enemy is scared to death of what the Lord wants to do through you. The enemy is not. He is not afraid of you when you are not walking faithfully with the Lord. But he is scared to death of what the Lord is going to do through you for the kingdom of the Lord. He is scared to death of what the Lord is going to do through this congregation for the kingdom of the Lord. And he's been quaking in his boots for the last 6,000 plus years. Because he knows, he knows who we serve. He knows that, the enemy is, uh, that, that the, the, his enemy is coming to crush his head. He knows that the descendants of Adam, the Messiah Yeshua, the Son of Man, will destroy him. Victory is ours. Salvation is ours. It is not ours to hoard, it is ours to share. Let the Lord take complete and total control of your life today. Father, I ask you to move, to give us a hunger for you. Father, to give us a hunger for your voice. Give us a hunger for your presence. Father, let us never stop seeking your presence. Let us never stop following your lead. Let this be a wake-up call not just for our congregation, but for every single person who is in the body of Messiah. Let this be a wake-up call that today is the day, now is the hour. Victory is ours. It is our duty to cross the Jordan and to take the promise that God has given us and has already paved the way. All we have to do is to walk in and claim it. All we have to do is to walk in and take a hold of it. Because the battle has already been fought. Victory has already been given to us. 
Abba, we thank you for your love. We thank you for making us like you. We thank you for restoring us into your image and likeness. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the presence of Yeruch HaKodesh. We thank you for letting us be a temporal dwelling place for your presence here in this earth, at this hour, in this time. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.